Welcome, everybody. You know, I'm so glad you're here. And before I start, I wanted to give a shout-out to the uh, uh, worship team. And the reason I wanted to do... And the reason I wanted to do that, especially Caleb, our worship um, director, you know, was sick this past weekend. So Caleb um, stepped in on Good Friday. And then last week, we found out that our worship director was still sick. So Caleb had to fill in again today. He found out yesterday. But they also had to change the worship set. So the worship team, you know, came here this morning and practiced, you know, songs that they found out that they were going to play just yesterday. Normally they have a week. So thank you so much for your flexibility and serving that way. Well, today we, cel- uh, we celebrate the end of Holy Week, you know, and this weekend we celebrated Good Friday, you know, and Pastor Michael did an outstanding job um, explaining why Good Friday is good, although it might seem to be one of the most horrific event in our, our church's history. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And when I tell people about this, when I tell them about salvation and how a person is saved in the Christian faith, you know, many times I'm, I hear, well, that sounds too good to be true. Right? Whenever something's good, too good to be true, they say, what? What's the catch? Right? And we're all trained that way. And I was trained that way, or I experienced that at an early age. You know, when I was in elementary school, I was a small, skinny kid. Right? And if you're a small, skinny kid, what happens? Well, you get bullied a lot. You get called names, right? And a lot of times I didn't want to go to school and I was saying, um, what am I going to do? This is just another day for me to get made fun of because I'm small and I'm skinny and I got picked on. And so I was reading comic books until I came across this. If you could show this. Well, yeah. This right here. Now, maybe some of you saw this. I know you can't see this. I thought you could. But it's a comic strip about a a man named Mac who is skinny. And and so in the first um, uh, box there, we see that Mac is at the beach with his girlfriend. And this bully is kicking sand on him. And then Mac says, hey, Quit kicking that sand in our faces. And of course his date replies, this man is the worst nuisance on the beach. And so Mac tries to stand up. And then the bully, second panel, just grabs him by the arm, makes a fist and says, listen here, I'll smash your face. Only you're so skinny you might dry up and blow away. And then the next panel there, we see Mac and his date kind of debriefing this. And Mac says, the big bully... I'll get even with him someday. And then, of course, his date says, oh, don't let it bother you, little boy. You know, can you imagine that? And I was going, oh, you know, this is what I'm feeling. These guys, I'm going to get back at them one day. But then, of course, this infuriates Max. So he goes home and he's kicking the furniture, right? And he says, darn it, I'm sick and tired of being made a scarecrow. Charles Atlas says he can give me a real body. All right, I'll gamble a stamp and get his free book, right? And then the next panel says later. And then we see Mac. Boy, I didn't 
it didn't take Atlas long to do this for me. What muscles? That bully won't shove me around anymore. So we see him looking at a mirror going like this, right? And he's Captain America now. Before he was skinny, now he's really buff. So he goes to the beach again, and he sees this bully. And he goes, what? You here again? Here's something I owe you. Then, boom, he hits the bully because he's really big and strong now. It says, his date goes, oh, Mac. You are a real man after all. And they said, hero of the beach. Gosh. And all the women are saying, gosh, what a build. You know? And so as, when I was reading this, I said, as a kid, I was saying, this is my answer. If I could grow some muscles, then people won't bully me anymore. And so at the bottom, there's the, you can see that little cutout there. And they have this checkout box that says, do you want broader shoulders and a bigger chest? I checked, yes. It says, do you, oh, I can't even read that. (laughs) Do you want iron, hard stomach and muscles? And I checked, yes. And then it says on the bottom, it says, I enclose my 10 cents. Please send me a copy of your famous book showing how dynamic tension can make me a new man. So I got my dime, and I just put a scotch tape on it, and I cut out that thing, I taped my dime on it, and I sent it in, right? Now, when you guys are laughing about a dime, you got to remember that back then, a dime, I could get two scoops of ice cream at Savons or Thrifty for a dime. And all you old guys are saying, yeah, I remember that, right? And so I waited. I went to the mailbox every single day waiting for my book that will change me into Muscle Mac, you know? And so I finally got it, and I looked at it, and I did the exercises. But as a young kid, I didn't understand, you know, male anatomy and how muscles work. And I did it, and nothing happened. I was as skinny as ever, you know, and I was so mad because I said, look at him, Charles Atlas. He's so strong. This has to be true. It didn't do a thing for me. And I still got bullied and I wasted a dime on his new book. But once again, I was taught that if something's too good to be true, there's got to be a catch. So the question is, is Christianity too good? Is there a catch? To this. And today we're going to learn that yes, it's true, and there is no catch because the crucifixion and the resurrection is born out of God's love for each and every one of us. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew 28, um, starting from um, verse 1? Matthew 28, verse 1. And this is the account of the resurrection. After the Sabbath, At the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, this was Sunday morning where Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who was the wife of Clopas, went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became dead like men. And see, um, the religious leaders were so afraid that the disciples would uh, go and break into the tomb and steal Jesus' body and claim that he was resurrected. They asked the Roman government to post guards to make sure that the body couldn't be stolen. Then the angel said to the women, 
Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Now this was the first indicator that historians and theologians believe that the resurrection was an actual event that was true. Because the authors of the Bible or the Gospels would not have used woman witnesses if they wanted to fabricate a false narrative. Because you have to realize back in those days, in those times, a woman's testimony was considered worthless to prove any event. Right, And that's just the way their culture was there. Women were not deemed as believable. They could not testify in the court of law. So if I did something and the woman said, yes, I saw you know, Pastor Dave do that, it would have been thrown out. And the only reason it would have been thrown out is because the eyewitness was a woman and a woman's testimony was deemed worthless. They didn't listen to a woman's testimony. Uh, back there. So, if the uh, authors of the gospel wanted to convince people that indeed there was a resurrection, if there was not a resurrection, they would have never used women as messengers, as proof of the resurrection. What they would have done is they would have just said either Peter or John, or they would have used some male as witnesses. However, Even the fact that witnesses were not seen as credible, they used women witnesses. Why? Because it was the truth. They they weren't hiding anything. And verse uh, 9 says, Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they collapsed Excuse me, and they clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go to all my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While they were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders to devise a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are, to dis- you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. Okay, so now that the religious leaders know that there was a resurrection. And they were trying to prevent this all along. Because they, they, number one, said that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Jesus was not the Savior. Therefore, this re- they have to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. So they told the guards, look, we'll cover for you. We'll give you a large sum of money to say that the disciples stole the body. But you have to realize for the guards to do this, You know, when they were assigned to guard the tomb, any failure of that duty meant that they would be executed, right? We've seen that on movies, right? You know, somebody fails the bad guy, the boss. What does he do? He executes them. Well, that was the same thing here. If they failed to do their duty, they knew that they would be executed. So there is no way they would have let these disciples, these fishermen, come and take their body, 
They saw something spectacular that scared them so much that the, body, the Bible says that they were frozen. They looked like they were dead because they were so frightened. They did not let somebody steal the body. Right? However, the religious leader said, don't worry, we're going to take care of this uh, for you. Okay? And so um, what we see is that Jesus, if Jesus' body was stolen by the disciples, they would not have died for their, given their life for this cause. Okay? And so the problem that we see here is the religious leader said that the disciples would have came in and they stole the body, and that's what we're going to say. However, remember that during Jesus' arrest, where were the disciples? They all fled. They were all, they were all afraid, right? And even at the crucifixion, only the apostle John was there. The rest of them were hiding out in fear. The rest of them were hiding out in fear. And the reason they were hiding out in fear, because Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. So they were following him. He was doing all of these wonderful miracles. And then what happened? He died. And so what they're thinking is if you could crucify and kill the Son of God, we're next. Right? We're next. And so they were hiding out of fear. But we see that Jesus tells the women to what? Go tell the disciples. However, because they have seen the resurrected Christ, they then proclaim the Christian, boldly proclaim the Christian message. And they were all executed except for John. They would not have died. They would have not put themselves in harm's way for a lie because they were afraid. They were hiding out all through the resurrection. They were nowhere to be found because they were afraid. But then after they saw the risen Lord, what happened? They were boldly proclaiming the gospel message. And once they were racked with fear, now they were ready to die for the cause. And said so the Roman guards would have been executed if they let someone steal the body. And I already explained that. The penalty was death. Right, The penalty was death. That's why in verse 14 it says, If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. There is no way that the Roman guards would have let somebody steal the body. And so these are just some of the evidence. There are more that the resurrection happened. Right, And in verse 15 it says, So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among, this, among the Jews to this very day. The Jews do not believe Jesus was resurrected. Why? Because they don't believe he was the Messiah. Right? They believe that Jesus was supposed to be the politi- political king and overthrow the Roman government. So they had to come up with a story, which is that Jesus did not, was not resurrected, but... His body was stolen by the disciples. But let's fast forward to the Apostle Paul's reason for the historical truth of the resurrection. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scripture sang. And so Paul is saying, look, I've got this important message 
that was passed on to me. Now I am passing on it on to you. And so what was so important? Well, he is saying that Christ died for our sins as explained by the teachings of Jesus and the Old Testament prophets, right? And so we see that in John three sixteen and 17, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And this was Good Friday, right? It says that Christ went to the cross on his own initiative out of what? Out of God's love for us and for his love for us. You know, so many people look at God and they think God's an angry God who's just waiting to um, judge us and condemn us when we make mistakes. You know, we see a loving God here that was willing to send his son to the cross to pay for our sins. You know, all of us, none of us are perfect. You know, we've all made mistakes, but... Once again, out of God's great love for us, he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to die for us on the, on the cross. He bore our sins on the cross. He paid for our sins. And that's the part of the good news of the gospel. As no longer do we have to fear or live in shame or guilt because what we have done. Because at the cross, Jesus forgave our sins. What sins did he forgive? All of them. Past, present, and future. All of them. So we no longer have to live out of guilt. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Do I make mistakes? Yes, all the time, every single day. But I don't have to worry about, okay, is God going to be angry with me? No. Is God going to judge me? No. Is God going to hold my sins against me? No. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. And that's the good news, right? If you take a look at all these other, you know, religions, how do you enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's by good works, right? Good works. And then the question is, well, how many good works? And as I talked to them, they said, I don't know. I just hope that I've done enough good works to satisfy God so he allows me into heaven. Well, you know, the beauty of Christianity, as Lindsay says, it's not about works. You know, it's about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He did the work for us. There's not enough good we could do to satisfy a perfect and holy God. But once again, we don't have to worry about that because what? God said, look, I took care of that for you. It's like, you know, when you get that credit card, you have all these expenses, and at the end of the paying period, what do you do? You have to pay it off. Well, you know, our sins are like that credit card bill where they're all piling up, piling up, piling up. But then Jesus said, you know what? I paid for that. Dave, you don't have to pay for that. No matter how long that list is, Jesus said, Dave, I paid for that. You don't have to pay for that, right? And so that was the beauty of the cross. And then who did Jesus hang out with? Because some of you here, you're new to the church, and you feel, well, church is only for good people, right? You have to be good in order to come to church. Well, that is not the gospel, 
right? Because if you look at who Jesus hung out with, who did he hang out with? He hung out with the sinners. He hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the tax collector. He hung out with the people on the fringes. Why? Because they knew that they needed a savior. Because every day, people in this society would look at them, point the finger at them, and judge them, and say that you're not worthy for the kingdom of God, right? You're a sinner. You are worthless to God, right? And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, you know what, I love you. This is why I came. This is why I came. I came for people like you. I know that you can't, you know, pay off. I know your lifestyle. And I know that you've made some mistakes. But I came to tell you that, hey, I'm gonna, I love you and I'm going to pay for those mistakes so you don't have to. They were the ones who were drawn to Jesus Christ. Who were trying to kill Jesus? The religious leaders. The ones who thought they were perfect. The ones that they thought were holy. They were the ones who persecuted Jesus. And then um, verse 4 says, He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And on the third day, just as Scripture said, right, And this is key. It says he was buried and he was raised on the dead on the third day. Because this is why the resurrection is so important. Because Christianity falls apart if there were no resurrection. Paul says if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christianity is useless and Christians of all people should be pitied because we are believing in a lie. We're making all of these sacrifices for this one person who just said all of these lies. And that's why if the resurrection did not happen, Christianity falls apart. There is no Christianity, Christian faith. Now, other believers, excuse me, other religions believe that Jesus was a good man. I'm sure you've heard that. That he was a moral man. That he was a good teacher and he taught many good things on how to live your life. You know, even Islam views Jesus as a great and powerful prophet. But they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they will not acknowledge the resurrection. Because if they believe, if they acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then their faith would crumble because the resurrection validates the Christian faith. And then Paul goes on in verse 5 by saying, And he was seen by Peter... And then the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So he's saying that Jesus, not only uh, when he rose from the dead, he showed himself to Peter and the disciples, but he also said he showed himself to 500 people. Some of them died, but he's saying some of them are still alive today. Go ask them. Go ask him. And when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it was only 22 years after the resurrection. It was not a long period of time for legend and myth and rumors to happen, right? It was only 22 years. And for those of you who could remember, what happened 22 years ago? Show this next slide. Remember this? 9-11. That happened 22 years ago. Yet I vividly remember 
where I was. I remember Grace yelling and out of distress, Dave, look at the TV. It was on that morning. And I ran down and I looked at the TV and, and I saw this. I could remember what I was feeling. I could remember the anger that was swelling inside me. I could remember it was like, yes, I'm 40 years old, but where do I sign up? You know, I want to go over there. You know, that's how vividly I remember that, right? Because it was 22 years ago, but it was a very significant event in our recent history. For those of you who are on, how many of you remember 9-11? Okay, look at all of these hands. There are a lot of people who here who remember 9-11, right? And if people are saying, no, it didn't happen, what I would say, well, look at this room full. There's a lot of people here who witnessed 9-11. If you don't believe me, ask them. Because it was only 22 years ago, and I'm sure you remembered what you were feeling when that happened. The resurrection was only 22 years prior to what Paul was saying here. And he's saying, and that was in, and people were still alive, right? But also... What this proves is that if Paul was telling a lie, if Jesus was not resurrected, then there are people who are alive that could have said, hey, Paul, you're telling a lie. Then all of these people could go around and say, no, I was there. The disciples stole the body. There was no resurrection. Paul is writing false truths. They were, and he, they, could have come, they could have said that about Paul. But the fact of the matter that the resurrection was true Jesus showed himself to over 500 people. They were still alive, and all of them believed it, and all of them were willing to suffer for their faith, right? Then he was seen by James, and later on all the apostles. So once again, Jesus showed himself to James, which is Jesus' brother, who also didn't believe that he was the son of God until after the resurrection, then later by the disciples. Then, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw him. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He goes, I was born at the wrong time. You know, I did not physically see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wasn't there, right? But he says, for I am the least of all of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. Who was Paul? He was a Pharisee. What was he doing? He was persecuting the church, as he was saying. He was going around throwing Christians in jail. He was going around killing Christians. Why? Because they were teaching heresy. Paul had one mission, and it was to stamp out Christianity from the face of the earth. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted to do. But then what happened? On the road to Damascus, he sees Jesus. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Then after Paul saw the resurrected Jesus, the man whose mission was to destroy Christianity, had no choice but to respond by what? Believing in what he said. The Apostle Paul, whose desire was to destroy Christianity, 
most of the books in the New Testament. Why? Because he encountered the resurrected Christ. He completely changed his life because he realized that the resurrection was true. The resurrection of Jesus is historically true and requires a response from us. And the response that all of us have to have to this is do we believe it or not? I think do we believe it or not? You know, Jesus in, uh, in John fourteen six, Jesus says, and Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says that he is the way to eternal life. Jesus did not say, I am a way to eternal life, nor did he say, I am one of many ways to eternal life. He says that what? I am the way to eternal life. Is Jesus telling the truth or is he lying? The crucifixion and resurrection is proof that God loves you. And God is willing to give you, offer you eternal life if you believe in him. It doesn't matter how many bad things that you've done, right? It doesn't matter how many good things that you have done. The basis of Christianity is belief. Belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Belief that, yes, we all made mistakes, we're all sinners, and that we couldn't save ourselves. And then accepting Christ's death as the payment for our sins. That's, and then um, choosing to follow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's not about doing good throughout your life and then finding out at the end whether you are good enough, right? The resurrection proves that there's a God who loves you and is willing to forgive you. You know, I've been following God for 47 years now, and he never, ever let me down. I cannot share one experience where I believe God let me down. Now, there were times when I did. There are times in my life when I questioned God, and why did you allow this to happen in my life? Where are you, right? You let me down. But over time, I was able to look back and say, God, your plans were perfect. Your plans for me were perfect. You never, never, you know, let me down. He's given my life meaning and hope. You know, as a child, you know, I used to be deathly afraid of death. I know that's a weird way to say that, but I was afraid of death. And, and like Eric, you know, my mother grew up in a Buddhist family, right? And she was Buddhist. So as a kid, I would ask my mom, what happens when I die? You know, do we go to heaven? You know, what, what happens? And my mom <laughs> didn't know. Right? She didn't know what was happening. So I kept asking her those questions. And she said, well, you know what? If I'm going to answer my son's questions, I better go to church. And so she went to a church called Evergreen Baptist. And there she what? Professed her faith in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit convicted that this was true. 
Right? So for those of you who do not yet know Jesus Christ, who have not yet trusted him for your salvation, who have not yet chosen to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I really encourage you to do so. And you could talk to the people here who have, the three that were baptized. Even though they haven't lived a long life yet, they'll tell you that God has never let them down. They'll tell you how God could change your life, right? It's not easy. It's not easy. Christianity will not make your life easy. But I guarantee you, it'll make your life worthwhile because you are part of something larger than yourself. You are doing something that the God who created you created you to do. There is nothing better than following the path that God set out for each one of us. You know, for those of you who believe in Jesus, the resurrection also requires a response to our lives too. You know, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need, right? For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who, have claimed, who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? That means the entire Bible is true including this verse. Some of you might have known this as seek first the kingdom of God. So as we're sitting here today and the resurrection validated scripture and Jesus tells us as disciples, what are we to do? We are to seek first his kingdom. So how do you respond to the resurrection? Do you, are we, we have to respond to that. You know, am I doing Seeking God's kingdom first? Or is I, am I seeking my kingdom? Am I concerned with what God wants me to do? Or am I concerned with my job, my career, the material things I have, my family, you know? And those are all good things. God wants us to put our attention there. But what does he say? That should be secondary. Who's first? God and seeking his kingdom comes first. You know, we have to also respond to the resurrection because it calls for a response from us, right? But the beautiful thing about this, you know, there are some, and I've been on this journey too where I walked away from the church, but you know what the beauty of Christianity is? God is always standing there with his arms wide open, welcoming you back. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. He's welcoming you back. Why? Because he loves you. But he also knows that his way is the best way for you to live your life. You know, for those of you who are not walking with the Lord, how's your life going right now? I could probably say probably not very good. And I could say that because that was me. I spent some years... Walk, you know, walking away from God, going after my career, going after material things, right? Going after things that I thought would satisfy, but I found out that they were never enough. When you reach one, what? When you, in your career, when you get promoted, you're all happy, right? Until what? Oh, I need to get promoted again. Or you get something, and you say, hey, this is the greatest thing. And then what? It becomes old. Then you have to get something else, right? We've all been there, 
right? I've been there. When I was walking away from God, I was just miserable. But praise God that he's always welcomed me back. He's always calling me, Dave, come back, come back. I love you. I got this great plan for your life. You know, for those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, God has the greatest plan for your life. Plans that you can't even imagine. When I left Continental Airlines to become a pastor, I thought, okay, God, I'm going to follow you, but you're going to ruin my life. (laughs) I was on the upward track, you know, to be high up at the airport in management. Okay, you called me. I'm going to go. I I can't tell you that was the best decision I ever made in my life. Was I making as much money as I could have made in the airline industry? No. You know, did I could have had the things that maybe I could have gotten on that salary? No. But I guarantee you, I would not trade my life for the world. I would do it again in a heartbeat. This is how good our God is. And for those of you who are following Jesus Christ, the resurrection demands a response. Will you trust him? Will you trust him with your life? And finally, in um, 2 Corinthians three, eighteen, it says, And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You know, the wonderful news about the Christian faith is, number one, yes, Christ died for this, his sins, our sins. Number two, that he was resurrected from the dead, validating everything that Jesus Christ said was true. But the third part of the gospel is he transforms us into the likeness of Christ if we choose him, which that means that Christ will make us a better student. Christ will make us a better son or daughter or friend. Christ will make us a better spouse. Christ will make us a better friend or parent if we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. He offers you the best life. Jesus says, I came to give you life, but not just existing, but I came to give you a life that's fulfilling, that's abundant. So if I was to ask you that question right now, do you feel that way about life, or are you just kind of existing? The resurrection validates everything that Jesus said. That Jesus said, look, yes, heaven awaits and you don't have to worry about now. I'm taking, I've taken care of that on the cross. But while you live here on earth, man, I've got this wonderful life for you. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It is so worth it if you choose to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because if you look at all of the other leaders of any other religion, you know, they're still in a tomb. Jesus is the only one that rose from the grave. Jesus is the only one who's living. The others have all died. You know, many believe that the crucifixion and resurrection is an historical event, right? But there's one thing that you cannot prove scientifically. You cannot prove scientifically that Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sins, and gives you eternal life. You can't. 
That's where faith comes in. There's a leap of faith, right? And somehow, the Holy Spirit told me it was true. The Bible is filled with some amazing things that if you read that, you go, man, this is crazy. But I believe it's true. Why? Because I believe that the true God is sending his spirit out to tell me it's true. And so, yes, I cannot prove scientifically that Jesus' death on the cross paid for my sins and gives me eternal life. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. You know, I'm willing to die for that, right? Even though I'm not looking forward to dying, I'm not afraid of death anymore because I know that one day I'm going to be in heaven for all eternity with Jacob, with Lindsay, and with Eric, and for all those who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ. The resurrection, I believe, is a true event. And because it's true, it demands a response from us. You know, maybe you have not yet confessed your faith in Christ. Well, it demands a response. Is it something that you believe or don't believe? Is Christianity worth, is Christ worth following or is he not? Is he telling the truth or is he a liar? That's the questions that face you. And all I could tell you as somebody who's walked with Jesus for 47 years, there's nothing greater, there's no greater life than to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, the resurrection also elicits a response from us because it proves that the Bible is true. It proves that everything in Scripture is the best way to live our lives. And are we doing that right now? Or are we not? Are we living a life in obedience to God? Or are we not? Because the same is true for you. Man, God has a wonderful plan for you. But there is one catch. You have to let him. He's not going to force his will onto you. But I could tell you, as somebody who walked with Jesus, there's no better way to live your life. No better way. My life for me was perfect. And as I look back and see how God transformed me from this shy, scared little kid to somebody who could stand in front of you and talk, you know, it's amazing what God has done in my life. And he could do the same thing for you if you trust him. And so if you want to have prayer, after service in that prayer chapel, we'll have people there to pray for you with any needs that you might have. You know, if you want to know more about Jesus Christ, we'll have people there. If you want to be prayed for, if you say, you know what, I want to give Jesus a chance, well, we'll have people there for you too to help you start your walk with Christ. So worship team, could you please come forward and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. Father, that every person who is seated in this room right now, every person who is listening to this message, Father, you love more than they can even imagine, Father. And yes, Father, we understand that we're not perfect. Yes, we know that you are a holy and righteous God and demand perfection. And yet, Father, you know that we can't reach perfection on our own. And so you sent your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross 
to die for our sins, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. And so I thank you. I thank you for that. You know, if there's anybody here who wants to take that first step in giving Jesus a chance, I ask that you come and talk to one of our staff members or maybe somebody in the prayer chapel. Because I could say that he's changed my life in ways that I can't even imagine, couldn't even imagine. And that he's given a life, given me a life that's so far from what I imagined that would be good growing up. His plans for me were perfect. And so are his plans for you if you let him. So for some of you here who might have been straying from the Lord, please know that God loves you. Please know that he is welcoming you back with open arms, that he does not condemn you, that he does not judge you. That he still says, I still have a plan for you. I still have great things for you to do. I still have a life for you that will bring you fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. But you have to let him. You have to make that choice. And if that's you today, I pray that this would be the day where you turn back to God. That you make that confession to say, God, that you're sorry that you walked away from him, knowing full well that he forgives you and that he will welcome you back and that he will not hold anything over your head. I pray that you do that if you are a disciple who have wandered from the faith. Thank you, God. I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for sending your son to die for us on the cross and raising him again on the third day, showing that you have the power to resurrect the dead and that one day we who believe in you and who trusted you will also be resurrected from the dead. What a glorious day that will be. But until that day, Father, would you keep reminding us of your great love for us, the mercy that you have for us, the forgiveness and the grace, Father, that's accessible to all of us. In your son's name we pray, amen.